0: Welcome back to Navy Yard Nats fans and head on over to Walters. It's going to be a big time homestand for the Nats and everyone is gathering at Walters before, during and after the games in the AC or under the covered streetery. Walters is the place to be. This week's reservations are going fast, including those for Sunday, July 4th, when Walters will be opening at nine in the morning for the early game. Make your reservations now at waltersdc.com reservations.
1: Tuesday before the Rays series begins, stop by Walter's and meet our producer, Tim Shover's first fan to come by. will be given a free Nats Chat t-shirt. We're driven by the search for
2: better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
3: Jared Eikhoff, 6'4", 246 pounds. And the pitch swung on, felt it deep to right, way up, down the line. And this one in the upper deck and gone goodbye. Another tape measure home run for Kyle Schwarber. That one looked like it went over the foul pole. His sixth leadoff home run of the year and the 11th of his career. Trey Turner swings, drives one a deep left center, way back, going, going. count on McNeil. Top of the fifth. Nationals leading 3-0. Espino sets. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. Struck him out on a curveball. And the side retired. Paulo Espino has his third strikeout and has himself five scoreless innings. And a swing and a drive. Deep right center field. Way back. Going, going.
0: Welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, June 29th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. What a Monday night at Nationals Park. The Nats smashing five home runs, including two more by Kyle Schwarber. The secret weapon, Paolo Espino, dominant in a spot start. The Nats bullpen did make things interesting, but Brad Hand continued to kill it with another five-out save, the Nats beat the National League East leading New York Mets 8-4 to move to within three games of first in the division. For all of the Nats' problems, for all of the Nats' struggles, the Nats are back at five hundred at 38-38, and three games at a first, a terrific start to a big seven-game homestand. My friend, the season is on for the Nationals.
1: Like I said the last time I spoke to you from Nationals Park, and it's been a little over a week, Al, Things are happening here. Things are happening, and it's been a lot of fun to watch. It's fun for the players, and it's fun for the fans who have had a whole lot to cheer about, and even a few things to stress over as this game played out. But ultimately, there was a lot of reason to celebrate. There is a good vibe going on right now. They're all feeling it. And no matter what happens the rest of this two-week stretch that we've talked about against top-quality opponents, I think we can say now that— there's no reason to put the Mets into a different category in the NL East. They're in the same category as the Nationals, and maybe the Nationals are even better, at least right now. They just took four out of five from them over you know two homestands combined here. We're going to call it all one big series. They took four out of five. I know the Mets are injured. I know they've got their issues and all that. But when I'm looking at these two teams right now, I see two teams that are on par with each other. They both have great pitching and some struggling offense. See a Braves team that has had all kinds of issues, themselves, a Phillies team that has somehow blown seven games in six games. They have seven blown saves in six games, which is, would seem like mathematically impossible. And then there's the Marlins. So I'm looking right now at Nats and Mets, and this could be a summer to remember.
0: I think what's also really exciting, too, is this. The Nats now are on two plus weeks of playing well. You know, bad teams can be good for a series or two, maybe a week, maybe a week and a half. But as the sample size grows of this Nationals run, you know, this Nationals rise up, we can less and less identify it as a run or a rise up and more and more hopefully identify it as these are the real Nats and that the issue of was this a good team off to a bad start or just a bad team? The former, in fact, was the case. If the Nats were never as bad as that record suggested, you know, 24 and 33, I mean, when the Nats were nine games below 500, That never felt right, but we all were looking at that and the offensive struggles and the lack of depth and all the things we kept coming back to. We're like, I don't know, maybe they are just not a very good team this season. I mean, they weren't very good last season, but as we see the Nats continue to do well You know, the hitting isn't perfect, but it has been better. The pitching, somehow, man, the Nats keep finding ways. And our guy Paolo was so good on Monday night, and we will get to that shortly, including a special announcement. But it is really starting to feel legitimately like this is a pretty good team. We'll see how good as the season goes on. But this is not a team that is nine games under 500.
1: No, they're exactly at 500 right now. And I think I'd take it a step beyond and say, I don't think they're a 500 team. I think they are a winning team better than this. I think there's every reason to believe that from here on out, they're going to win more games than they lose. Now, will it be enough? I don't know. I don't know in the end what they're going to get to. Can they get to 90? Can they get to 88? I I don't know. But barring some kind of major rash of injuries, and let's be honest, they've already had to deal with their share of them. They're doing this without Steven Strasburg or Daniel Hudson and now Kyle Finnegan as well. I think this is a winning team. And in the NL East, that may be all that it takes is just to be good enough to be a winning team, not even a great team to make the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I mean, getting to 90 is still going to be a challenge because 38 and 38 has still kind of put them in a spot where to get to 90, you're really going to have to fly the rest of the year, but the team is flying right now. So who's to say that this can't continue for another month or two and that puts you in a position from which you can get to 90 and like you just suggested, you may not need to get to 90 to win this division. It still does feel like you're going to have to win the National League East in order to make the playoffs because the wild card teams are going to come from the other two divisions, although that can change. But for now, that's the way things appear. But why not? I mean, win the division this year at 88-89 wins? I, I don't think that's inconceivable with the way this division is set up. Well, if you are a regular listener to the Nats Chat Podcast, and you do as you're supposed to do, and that is take copious notes from each episode, you know, when the Nats homer, they win. The Nats on Monday night hit five home runs, so they better have one. It looked a little dicey for a while. We'll get to that. But the Nationals do come through and the bats were alive. And of course, no bat was greater than that of Kyle Schwarber. Two more home runs for Schwarber. The drought, quote unquote, that was him going two consecutive games without a home run is over. He smashes a leadoff homer to the third deck in right field, in the bottom of the first off Met starter Jared Eikhoff, who I promised you was not going to sleep for the next two weeks off what the Nationals did to him on Monday night. Schwerber, like, we we keep saying, well, we got to come up with new ways to talk about what he's doing. He's giving us new ways to talk about him because he keeps topping himself with these magnificent home runs, these incredible distances, you know, these Ruthian clouts that he keeps authoring. This home run going up projected 439 feet Per and my favorite part about that first home run was Schwarber just like remaining in the batter's box, frozen in time, having completed his swing and just admiring the shot. That was pretty funny to see. And then the other homer, leadoff homer, another leadoff homer, this one to right field, bottom of the fifth off Ikoff. that homer going a projected 409 per stat cast. This run, which was already amazing enough, is now even more amazing. Another multi-homer game. He sets a new record for most home runs in a month by a Nationals player since the franchise came to D.C. And I tell you, Mark, after each Schwarber homer now, we see all these different factoids that are out on Twitter. And we're seeing names like Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa being connected with what Schwerber is doing. That really crystallizes how special this run is.
1: Yeah, those are two big names, and I'm going to give you one more name that maybe nationally is not as big a name, but locally is the name that means everything to longtime Washington baseball fans, and that's Frank Howard. In the history of baseball now, there are two players who have hit 11 home runs in nine games. Their names are Kyle Schwarber and Frank Howard, and they both did it wearing a curly W on their helmet for Washington, D.C. When I told Schwarber that one, he was genuinely moved by that. He thought that was really cool. I don't know that he knows much about Frank Howard. He's going to learn about him here pretty soon. Hopefully gets a chance to meet him if Frank feels well enough to come to the ballpark at some point. That's a really cool thing to be able to say. I mean, I know it's a little bit of a weird stat, 11 homers in nine games, but still, Frank Howard and Kyle Schwarber. And Frank Howard did it in 1968, and we mentioned this the other day, Kyle Schwarber now in 2021. These are the two best seasons for pitchers, the worst seasons for hitters, you know, maybe over the last 75 years or something like that. And the fact that two Washington-based players would now have the home run records in those two seasons is pretty remarkable. It's a stunning thing to witness. I can't say I've ever seen anything like this. And it is carrying this team. It's taking him to a place he's never been before. And good for him getting all the attention that he is deservedly getting. And good for Davey for putting him in the leadoff spot because that was apparently all that it took to make Kyle Schwarber into Frank Howard.
0: 15 homers in 17 games. Your slugging percentage update on Kyle Schwarber. He, during this 17-game stretch, has raised his slugging percentage for the season by 165 points, which is like something you do in a video game. That's something I used to do playing with Tony Armas in RBI Baseball on Nintendo <laughs> back in the day to go from 404 to 569, as Schwarber has, with his slugging percentage on the year. He's the first guy To hit 15 homers in a 17-game stretch since Barry Bonds in 2001, the only other guy to do it, Sammy Sosa in 1998, and we know what those guys were doing in those seasons. So Schwarber is the first legitimate player to ever hit 15 home runs in 17 games. I was thinking about this during the game, Mark. So this Kyle Schwarber signing now looks like nothing short of a stroke of genius by Mike Rizzo. One year. $10 million contract. We have seen, obviously, big money, long-term deals work out for Rizzo and the Nationals over the years. Can you think of another one-year contract for a position player that ended up looking this shrewd as the Schwarber signing looks to be right now?
1: Oh, for a position player. They've had a few good one-year pitcher contracts. Trying to remember one on a position player. No, probably not. The best sort of under-the-radar contract he gave to a hitter was Daniel Murphy, but that was three years. And we know what Murph did for those, or at least the first two of those seasons. But on a one-year deal, no. I mean, it wasn't Rizzo. It was uh, Jim Bowden, who traded for Alfonso Soriano, who was only under contract for one more year before he could become a free agent and had the 40-40 season. Matt Adams had a good one year, but not like this. Not like, you know, I mean, who knows what's going to happen the rest of the season. But if you got to think at this point, Schwarber's at least going to get to th- 35 homers even if he has a bad second half he's already at 24 he should be able to hit 11 more the rest of the way and maybe a lot more than that we may be talking about him threatening Soriano's club record with 46 homers in a season I posted this stat also during the game the Nats record for home runs before the all-star break Soriano had 27 Harper had 26 and now Schwarber has 24 and he's still got 13 more games to add to that total So when this is all said and done, we may be talking about him chasing Soriano's single season club record for home runs.
0: I mean, it's not going to take much for him to at least threaten that, Mark. That's for sure. And you think about, right, how the Nats got Schwarber. He was non-tendered by the Chicago Cubs in early December. Kyle Schwarber was not some prized free agent this past offseason. He was basically discarded by the Cubs. They were like, eh, we don't really want to pay you anymore, you know? Now, the Cubs are not having a terrible season, so maybe they don't regret it that much. But, man, you talk about a bargain signing. I mean, $10 million in today's day and age, it's really not that much money for a one-season deal. And to the cliche of there's no such thing as a bad one-season contract, this is why. It can pay off tenfold as the Schwerper deal right now is with what he's in the midst of doing. So awesome job. He also had another hit in the game, by the way, too. He had a one-out single in the bottom of the eighth inning. But the Nats hit three other home runs in this game. Trey Turner hit a home run. A second consecutive game for Trey with a homer. He smacked a first pitch solo shot to left field in the bottom of the first off Eikhoff and going back to back with Kyle Schwerber. And that was some shot by Trey Turner. 435 projected feet per stat cast. So Great to see that from Trey. Man, they were just teeing off on Eikhoff. It wasn't just the homers either. Juan Soto had that double. I was surprised that Ikoff stayed in the game. It seemed like Luis Rojas was like, okay, kid, you're going to wear this one tonight. They didn't even have, it seemed like the Mets, anyone uh, warming up for the longest time in this game in the bullpen.
1: No. And what was so bizarre about it is his pitch count was ridiculously low. They were so aggressive against him. He only threw 10 pitches in the first inning to six hitters. And four of the 10 pitches that he threw were hit by Nationals at 101 miles an hour or more. Okay, the two homers, the double by Soto, which off the bat, I thought we were going to see literally three pitches, three homers. It looked like it just didn't quite get enough elevation, but that was a big time and good sign for Soto on that swing. And then I think it was Gomes, the line drive that ended the inning caught by the shortstop. That was an insane first inning. And then the fact that he was still somehow in the game in the sixth. And I'm thinking to myself, man, is this going to be one of those nights where they should have scored, you know, 15 runs and somehow they didn't and they end up losing because they couldn't take down a pitcher that clearly was there for the taking out. Thankfully, in the end, they got it all done, but they were all over him so aggressive. And I think that's the only reason he was still in the game. His pitch count was at ridiculously low. It was at 60 after five innings for a guy who had given up four homers.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. You almost never see that. And let's give the Nats credit because I've been all over them when they've struggled against bad pitchers this season or struggled against pitchers who have no business dominating, and yet they have dominated the Nats. Well, on this night, the Nats got to Eikhoff, and they teed off on him. So that was a good job by the Nationals. And they weren't done with that Trey Turner home run because
3: the baby shark went deep. Now the wide to pitch swing and a long drive to right, deep down the line toward the corner. McKinney coming over, looking up, and this ball is gone. Gerardo Parra,
0: who started in center field and served as the Nats' number seven batter. Remember, Victor Robles suffering that right knee contusion on the hit-by-pitch on Sunday, although we did see Robles late in the game as a defensive replacement in the top of the ninth. It was good to see that. But Gerardo Parra on Monday night, two for three with a homer, a double, and a walk. He smacked a leadoff homer off the right field foul pole, which should be called the fair pole, but is still forever called the foul pole. Bottom of the second off Eikhoff. And this was some plate appearance by Para. He was down at one point in the count 0-2. It ended up being a seven-pitch plate appearance in which he fouled off four pitches. Of course, everyone went nuts with the baby shark antics. And then we did it all over again when he had that two-out first pitch double off the right center field wall in the bottom of the fourth. It is amazing with Para because it feels like away from Nationals Park, he doesn't do much, but at Nats Park, You know, I I know it's like impossible to quantify and it's kind of, you know, magical powers when you talk about like there's something about that environment and this guy, but there is something about that environment and this guy. And all he seems to do is come through with big hits at home when he's in that.
1: Okay, here are the numbers. He's only played two games here so far this year, but at Nationals Park, three for five with two doubles, a homer, a walk. (laughs) His slugging percentage is like 2000 (laughs) at home. There you go. Now he's 0 0 for 8 on the road. So, yeah, there is something going on here. And when they called him up, the thought was, well, okay, remember, there were some injuries. Stevenson was hurt. Yadiel Hernandez couldn't play center field. And well, you know, maybe this will be a short term thing. And and who knows if it'll last? Kind of like in 2019, you can't get rid of him now. He's going to be here for the long haul, no matter who comes back healthy. And it's infectious. I mean, you cannot deny that there's something there. I don't know what it is. But there's something there that he brings that brings out the best in everyone. I really think there's something to the idea that he lets everyone relax and have fun. This is what Davey has always preached. Anytime they're struggling, anytime they get off to a bad start to a season, which is pretty much every year, he says, just go out and relax and have fun. And it seems like an easy thing, but it's not that easy to actually do when you're pressing and you know that you are behind the eight ball and you're nine games under 500 and you have to get it going again. And maybe it takes a guy like Gerardo Parra to remind everyone that it's okay to have fun. This is a game that you're playing. Have some fun with it. And that's what they're doing. And he is the poster child for it. It's an amazing thing. And it's hard to describe to somebody who hasn't witnessed it here the last couple of years.
0: And one thing that I've noticed, and I don't know, maybe I'm making too big of a deal out of this, but watching Parra interact with the Nationals players who were not on the team in 2019 and seeing how quickly those guys have taken to Para. Like I've noticed Josh Harrison gets really into the whole Baby Shark thing when Para's coming back to the dugout. I noticed after one of the Schwarber home runs, Schwarber already has this post home run routine with Para where they do some kind of dance or some handshake or whatever it is. But it's like neither Harrison nor Schwarber was on that 2019 team and yet already it feels like they're in love with Para. Like he just automatically infects you with this uh, gregarious nature and like he automatically draws you to him and that to me is a really cool thing like it's one thing for guys who were on the team a few years ago to be all over Para but for these newer nationals to have taken to Para so quickly i think that says so much about him
1: yeah i'm glad you mentioned that because it's absolutely been noticeable josh bell too you can see how much fun he's having it the shot of bell and harrison the first time they came up to bat to baby shark last week The look on their face like, oh, my God, like, I can't believe this thing. What's happening? It is infectious. It rubs off. And now, again, remember, I know he's new to them on the big league roster, but he was with them all spring in camp. And then he was with them a few times on road trips as a member of the taxi squad. So he's not completely unknown even to the new guys. They've started to get a chance to get to know him. But as he's pointed out himself, until you're on the active roster, you can't really bring that all out. You can't be your full Self, your full personality. And so since he's been up here now, he's been able to do that. And you know what the team's record is since they activated him? Six and two. Look, they were already on a hot streak before he joined them. It's not like he started this, but they're even better since he got here. They're six and two with Parr on the roster to go along with everything he did for them in 2019 as well.
0: So it's so funny. Five homers for the Nats. You say to yourself, all right, the two Schwarber bombs were memorable enough. The Para bomb was a lot of fun. Trey Turner hit a moonshot. And yet you could argue the most significant homer of the game and the homer that maybe got the fans riled up the most. I mean, you were there, so you tell me. But
3: Ryan Zimmerman. Castro sets. Here's the pitch to Zim. Swing and a long drive. Deep center.
0: Off the bench on Monday night, he has been struggling big time. We talked about this on the last installment of the Natch Chat podcast. His slugging percentage has plummeted. While Kyle Schwarbers has soared to the moon, Zimmerman's has gone straight down the tubes in recent weeks. And so what does Zimmerman do? Blast a first pitch, one out, three run homer to center field off the Mets reliever Miguel Castro in the bottom of the eighth to everyone's relief. I mean, this game was 5-0, it became 5-4, you weren't sure what to think, and then Zimmerman happens, puts the Nats up 8-4 with that home run. This was another big blast, projected 437 feet per stat cast. Zimmerman's first home run since he hit the two homers in that 11-inning win at the Tampa Bay Rays on June 9th. You know, Miguel Castro, I got to watch him when he was with the Orioles. He's got good stuff, that's not an easy guy to face. And for Zimmerman to go deep to essentially center field on a first pitch in a spot like that, what was a big spot, that's a great job by Zimmerman. You know, he's not a guy who who necessarily cracks a smile often, but you could see him as he rounded third, I think it was, he made this sort of typical Zimmerman facial gesture that's understated, but like says so much. And it was kind of like, ah, it's good to finally get one. (laughs) And he got that one. That was some piece
1: of hitting. That was a 100-mile-an-hour fastball from Castro that he turned on and did that, too. And so, yeah, that was a big one, and it meant something to him. I'll admit, Al, I was thinking of you as he was rounding the bases because I knew you had just brought this up. What happened to Zimmerman's power? When's it going to come back? (laughs) Well, it came back in a big way on this one. And the other great moment of it all, he gets back to the dugout. And you're right. He enjoyed it. The dugout loved it. The crowd really loved it. So much so that they coaxed him out for a curtain call. (laughs)
3: And Kyle Schwarber steps out of the box.
1: They just keep on cheering. And I'm thinking to myself, Kyle Schwarber's on like the greatest home run tear of all time. He's gotten one curtain call through it all. This was at least the second. I think the third curtain call Zim's already gotten this year. He's going to end up with like 75 of them before the year is over because this crowd just loves him. And if you asked him, he would probably say he's been deserving of like one of them (laughs) because that's just who he is. And, you know, he's so sheepish about it all. But just a great moment that completely flipped the game back in their direction because it was looking dicey. We'll get to what happened with the bullpen. That game felt like it was slipping away. And ultimately, this reminded me very much of a 2017 Dusty Baker team kind of win where they... Just have all kinds of offense that was a great lineup that year but no lead was safe and the bullpen just found a way every single night to blow it or make it interesting and that's what happened in this one and then the best way to overcome a bad bullpen was just to keep scoring more runs and that's what they did here they were helped by an atrocious defensive play from the Mets two errors on the second baseman who had just come into the game and then Zim comes up with a three-run blast and that completely changed the mood and allowed everyone to get back into that celebratory vibe that they had going on all night until the very shaky top of the eighth
0: yeah starling castro mr put the ball in play puts the ball in play and the met second baseman who was in the game for defensive purposes travis blankenhorn ends up uh pitching nothing but blanks on that play defensively speaking two errors on the same play and that's ended up scoring three runs in the bottom of the eighth inning all right, so we have all had that dream: tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than just one shot to swing for the fences. That's because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. You heard that right: new users get up to one thousand dollars back in side credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to twenty-five dollars back site credit each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. All you have to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. And games on Tuesday night include Miami and Philadelphia at 7.05, starting for the Marlins, one of the best lefties in the majors, heck, one of the best pitchers in the majors, Trevor Rogers, who has an ERA of 2.08, Going for the Phillies is Vince Velasquez, a.k.a. Vinny Velo, who also could be called Vinny High ERA because his ERA is 474. We shall ride the fish in this one. 21
2: plus in present, Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager only for risk free bet. Refund issued as is non withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at com. Gambling problem, call 1 100 522 in Colorado. 1 100 bets off in Iowa. One hundred nine with it, Indiana one hundred two seven zero seven one seven for confidential Help in Michigan one hundred gambler, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee 1-800-889-9789. or in West Virginia, visit www100 gamblernet We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed.
0: Great job by the Nationals offensively on Monday night, but also a spectacular job by our guy, the secret weapon delivering and then some. Paulo Espino making another spot start and dominating the Mets on Monday night. Five scoreless innings, three strikeouts versus five hits, all of which were singles, no walks he did his Paolo Espino thing of pounding the zone, 67 total pitches, 45 of them were strikes. He finished with 45 strikes versus just 22 balls. He more than doubled his balls with strikes. That's not easy to do. A lot of guys don't do that. That's something like Max Scherzer does. Espino did that on Monday night. And watching Espino work, he is such a throwback. He throws strikes, He works quickly. Those first five innings felt like they took about five minutes. The last four innings felt like they took about four hours, but that's a different conversation. But Espino lived up to the billing, and we are proud and happy to announce on the Nats Chat Podcast, Paolo Espino t-shirts are coming. The Secret Weapon t-shirts. Be on the lookout for them. Coming soon to natschatpodcast.square.site. They say simply but decisively the secret weapon. You want to get yours because these are going to become a thing, a big thing, just like our guy Paolo is becoming a big thing. Medium through double XL. We want to send a shout out, by the way, to our guy, Louis Creech, who tweeted out during the game a photo of himself wearing a Nats Chat podcast t-shirt at the ballpark. And Despino Mark was really good again on Monday night.
1: First of all, Al, I'm embarrassed that it took us 25 minutes to get to Paolo Spinos' five scoreless innings against the Mets. I know. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, Paolo. Please forgive us. We love you. It's only because of Kyle Schwarber in the offense that we waited this long to get to you. If we could have led the episode with you, of course we would have. But hey, have a T-shirt on us for your troubles. Just a remarkable thing to witness here. And look, we've been on him from day one. Obviously. But more and more, what you're seeing here is it started out, he was the emergency starter. Then he's just kind of being used in mop-up roles and long relief. And next thing you know, he's like closing a game. And now he's holding a prominent role on this pitching staff, Al. He's pitching important innings in important games for a team that's on a real run to the extent that we have to start asking ourselves, I don't care who comes off the IL. You cannot drop this guy, okay? He is here to stay, potentially in the rotation, if he can keep this up. He just gets the job done. And until he proves that he can't get the job done, he deserves to keep going out there and doing this. And the only reason he came out after five innings was because he just hasn't been built up enough yet, and he just pitched out of the bullpen the other day, and you can't ride that too hard. But five scoreless. And even when that one moment where it was getting a little shaky in the fifth and he's got to face Jeff McNeil and, and we're wondering, is he going to get to face him or is this his last batter? And he went out and he struck him out on three pitches, including back-to-back curveballs that were just beautiful, perfect pitches to close out. His, he emptied the tank, Max Scherzer style, to close out the fifth. He's now got out a 2.02 ERA for the season and an 0.869 whip. Paolo Espino is no longer the secret weapon. Everybody should know who he is. He's so much
0: fun to watch because he is so different from the way things are now in baseball. Like you go back to the top of the second inning on Monday night, Palo tossing a perfect top of the second inning in which he strikes out both Pete Alonso and Kevin Pillar. The pitch on which Alonso struck out, he struck out swinging, by the way was an 89.9-mile-per-hour four-seam fastball. I mean, that's not the way that things are supposed to work in 2021, and yet that's exactly how they work when Paolo Espino is on the mound. He tossed a scoreless top of the fourth, gave a back-to-back one-out singles to Dominic Smith and Pete Alonso. That's okay. How about the scoreless top of the fifth? You know, we talk about Max Scherzer, how he loves to end his outings with, like, exclamation marks. Paolo Espino did that on Monday night. Struck out Jeff McNeil on three pitches for the third out in that scoreless top of the fifth inning. You just took us through the ERA and WHIP numbers. Get a load of this. So the war numbers aren't updated until the following day but Paolo Espino came into games on Monday tied for third among all Nationals pitchers <laughs> in war per baseball reference. So Paolo Espino come Tuesday morning will for sure be alone in third on the Nationals pitching staff in war on the season. It's Max Scherzer one, Daniel Hudson two, and Paulo Espino three. Now, that tells you a little something about some other guys on this pitching staff, okay? But it says a whole lot about the job that Paulo Espino has done this season. What is his age 34 season? A guy who was drafted 15 years ago by the Cleveland Indians and is delivering and then some for the Nationals this year. This really is a great story. We make jokes about it, but he's pitched really well. And this is one of the very nice and not to be cheesy, but almost like heartwarming stories here that this guy is having the success that he's having this year.
1: It is a remarkable thing. The guys love him. You can see what this means to them. And like I said last time when he he got his first career, you can just see how much he's enjoying this. He didn't know he was ever gonna get this kind of opportunity. And he's not just doing this, you know, oh hey, you finally get a chance to be in the big leagues and win a few games like No, he's doing this for the hottest team in baseball and playing a significant role in it. That's the thing that just strikes me about this, is that we're getting to a point where you feel good about putting him on the mound against whoever. This isn't like, oh, uh, hey, uh, let's hold our breath and hope he can survive this and ha ha ha, he somehow did it. Like, No, he's actually worthy of facing these opponents and pitching these important games against good teams. And like I said, he's not leaving the roster. They're going to find a way to keep him and maybe keep him in the rotation no matter who is healthy.
0: Well, you use the phrase, hold our breath and let's see what happens. We did have to do that with the Nationals bullpen on Monday night. Look, this is a bullpen that's been leaned on a lot. We all get that. It's a bullpen that in a lot of ways is operating on fumes, although maybe not as much lately. But a lot of guys are being asked to do a lot and they're not always going to all deliver. And that was certainly the case on Monday night. Ultimately, four Nats relievers combined to allow four runs in four innings. Now, the game did end very well with a bullpen performance. We'll get to Brad Hand in a bit, but Sam Clay, Wander Suero, and Justin Miller had some problems. Now, Clay was, for the most part, pretty good. He officially allowed a run in one, a little more than an inning. He tossed a scoreless top of the sixth, then was charged with a run in the top of the seventh due to giving up a one-out infield single to Luis Guillorme that led to a throwing error by Starling Castro. Okay, clay has been a lot better lately, I think, overall. The problem, guys, really were Wander Suero and Justin Miller. Suero officially allowed one run in a third of an inning, but his outing was worse than that. He faced four batters. He got just one out. He allowed an inherited runner to score in that top of the seventh. Uh, the first batter he faced, the pinch hitter, Jose Peraza, gets hit with a pitch, a one-two pitch, And then Suero gives up a two-out RBI single to Jeff McNeil on a 1-2 pitch. And then Suero gives up a leadoff single to Dominic Smith and what ends up being a Mets three-run eighth inning, despite him having been down to the count at one point, one-two. So Peraza down 1-2, hit by a pitch. McNeil down 1-2, ribby single. Smith down 1-2, leadoff single. And then Justin Miller happened. And, you know, Miller just recently got brought up from AAA. I don't know how much longer they can keep him on the major league roster. He has not looked good so far. In his tenure with the Nats here, he allows back-to-back homers in this game. A first-pitch two-run bomb, and it was a bomb by Pete Alonso, followed up by a homer by Billy McKinney, despite him having been down to the count at 1.12. Miller did then record a strikeout, and then Brad Hand happened, and he was excellent. Another five-out save, one and two-thirds perfect innings. Great to see Hand do as he did, including striking out James McCann in a pinch hit spot on seven pitches for the third-out in that uh, three-run eighth inning, despite McCann initially having been ahead of the count, 2-0. So you do leave satisfied because the Nats won, and you do leave feeling even better about Brad Hand, and man, has he been good lately. But those were some rough seas that the Nats had to sail, especially with Suero and
1: Miller. So let's outline why those were the guys on the mound at such a critical moment in an important game. Four others who would normally be chosen above Suero and uh, Miller— were not available to them. Two of them are on the injured list. That's Daniel Hudson and Kyle Finnegan. Two of them, Austin Voth and Tanner Rainey, were not available because they had pitched the previous two games and needed the night off, so they were down. So that's why you found yourself in that kind of really tenuous situation. I was surprised, and I think it was—I didn't love the idea. I thought it was almost unfair to Justin Miller to put him in that spot, but I just don't know who else they had to go to at that point. You would have loved for Suero to be really effective enough to get through that inning. He just didn't have it. So that, that set in motion what you saw. And unfortunately, with Justin Miller, you're probably seeing the reason why he hadn't been in the big leagues in two years. He was good for them several years back. Then he was hurt. Then he bounced around a few different organizations last year, didn't get called up, and then obviously started this year at A. We'll see where they go moving forward here, but I thought it was you know, an unfortunate spot to have to even ask him to get the job done. And he clearly did not get the job done. And boy, did that put a lot of pressure on Brad Hand. Now, the other thing, Miller comes in and gives up the back-to-back homers. And this is where I hate the three batter rule, because that's the situation where, like, it's a one-run game now. He makes one more mistake, and it's a tie game. And you can't take him out of the game unless he's injured. So I've never liked that for that reason, maybe more so if you start walking batters. But if there's a pitcher who comes in who clearly does not have it, Two batters in, and you're forced to leave him out there for another. I don't like the notion of all that. But he got the strikeout, and then Hand came in, and boy, did he do a good job. And he is now has been as good a reliever as there is in the majors over the last month plus since that little hiccup that he had in early May. But the problem is he had pitched on Sunday in Miami. He threw in this game 25 pitches, so you've got to believe that he's going to be down on Tuesday against the Rays. So there've been very few nights where everybody's available. It seems like somebody's always down and it it underscores why they ultimately need Daniel Hudson and Kyle Finnegan back as soon as possible.
0: Yeah, Hudson cannot come back soon enough. There's no question about that. Justin Miller's ERA now is at 15. Uh, That's always a bad thing when your ERA is in puberty and uh, Justin Miller's ERA is. But, you know, you mentioned Brad Hand and the run that he's on. So his last 17 appearances, he's given up just two earned runs in 18 and third innings. We are in the midst of all-star game voting season and the voting for the all-star game, by the way, now you need like a Ph.D. to understand it. But anyway. In terms of Nats, who may make the all-star team, and, you know, relievers, generally speaking, right, managers pick them. I mean, is there not a compelling all-star argument now for Brad Hand with the season that this guy is having? He did have the hiccup, yes, and it felt for a while like maybe Brad Hand was going to be more of a problem than a solution. But his ERA for the season is down to 241, you know, with the exception of, what, one or two blown save opportunities yet he two. He's 17 for 19 on saves on the year. You just said it. I don't think you're wrong to say it. He's been one of the best relievers in baseball over these last
1: few weeks. Yeah, no, I think there absolutely is a case for him. And I think if you were to rank and it doesn't work this way because it depends on your positions and who's voted in and what needs you have and who do the fans vote for. Then who do the players vote for for some of the backup spots? But if you were just to rank the Nationals based on merit for making the all star team, I think I would go Scherzer one probably Trey Turner two, Brad Hand three, although you can make a case either one of those. And obviously what Schwarber has done has lifted him into the conversation. But the bizarre part of it is that the only one who is officially still up for a starting job is Juan Soto, who's probably about fifth or sixth on the list of worthy candidates. So as we know, it doesn't always work that way. It's a popularity contest. It's also about star players. But I think Brad Hand should get real consideration for it. And if the idea is to try to win these games anyways then you can make the case that having a really good lefty at the back of the bullpen late in an all-star game is an important thing to have.
0: I'm not kidding when I say this. He keeps doing as he's doing. Paulo Espino is going to warrant some all-star consideration. He's actually thrown more innings than hand has, has a better ERA and a better whip. Now, Espino will never make it for a lot of different reasons, but if you're just going by who have been the best pitchers, who have been the best run preventers, and if you're looking at this Nationals pitching staff, He's among the best so far this year, as as Looney Tunes as that may sound. It's the truth. He's gotten the job done this season in, in a key role, like like you've outlined, you know, sometimes starting many times relieving jack of all trades. But, you know, kind of an all purpose pitcher, an all purpose member of your staff and outgetter. He has risen to the occasion this season.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, mark this down. It's June 29th, 2021. I know we've been pumping up this guy all year long, but on June 29th, 2021, Al Galdi just made a compelling case for Paolo Espino to be an all-star. This is where we are right now.
0: Tell me I'm wrong, people. Tell me I'm wrong. At Nats underscore chat that Paolo Espino is not all-star worthy. In fact, let's get that hashtag trending. Paolo (laughs) for Denver. All right. (laughs) Paolo Espino for the all-star game at Coors Field. We've got to get this movement going. We got the t-shirt. We might as well take it a step further.
1: Send the secret weapon to Coors Field.
0: That's right. That's right. There you go. And if anyone cannot give up runs at Coors Field in the high altitude, we know it is our guy, Paolo. Two-game series now for the Nationals against the Tampa Bay Rays. This is a rough stretch in terms of the opposition over the course of this seven-game homestand. Mets, Rays, and then Dodgers. But two games against Tampa Bay Tuesday night, and then Wednesday afternoon. I love the pitching matchup for this game one. 7.05 first pitch on Tuesday. Joe Ross versus the one-time Nat, Rich Hill. Yes, Rich Hill is still in the majors. This is his age 41 season. And believe it or not, Rich Hill is still really good. Rich Hill, in case you don't know, has an ERA of three fifty two over 15 starts this season. Only the Rays find Rich Hill in his age 41 season and get him to pitch to the tune of a three fifty-two ERA over 15 starts. Joe Ross is coming off a really nice outing, seven scoreless innings, eight strikeouts, and the 7-3 win at Miami this past Thursday night. But uh, this is intriguing to me, what the old man Rich Hill is going to do against a guy and Joe Ross who, as I like to say, spin the wheel, make the deal. You never know what you're going to get. But as we have seen with Joe Ross, especially lately, He is still more than capable of going out there and pitching well.
1: He is, and here's an opportunity for him to keep this run going and win an important game in a quick two-game series against a really difficult opponent. Hey, the Nats split their two-game series at the Trop a couple weeks ago. No reason to think they can't at least win one of these two games. And Rich Hill, it's such a fascinating story that maybe we'll talk more about it, you know, after the game on Tuesday, depending on how he does. I feel like as long as he's healthy, he's still been really effective for a while. now. The only issue has just been him staying on the mound. And it's, and it's like weird things, like he's got a blister that will never go away. And that was always the thing with the Dodgers. But the main Rich Hill memory I have was actually from the 2016 NLDS when he is with the Dodgers and he starts Game 2 at Nationals Park. And the Nats win that game thanks in large part to a Jose Lobotone Home run into like a thirty mile an hour wind blowing straight in from left field. Somehow Lobatone hits it out off Rich Hill and they win that game. And that's the only one of those series, by the way, that they actually held a two one series lead. They didn't have to come from behind that one. They actually were up two to one and then lost the last two. I don't know how this guy still does it, but he is doing it. And if Kyle Schwarber can homer off of Rich Hill to start game. One of that series, then there's really something wacky going on here.
0: The first time Rich Hill got drafted, because, you know, some guys get drafted multiple times. Rich Hill was drafted initially in the 1999 draft (laughs) by the Cincinnati Reds in the 36th round. 1999. I mean, what was going on in your life in 1999? That's when Rich Hill got drafted and he's still pitching. Now, he never actually pitched for the Nats, but he was in
1: a spring camp with them, right? He was, and it, they end up cutting him at the end. And he mentioned years later that that motivated him to become the pitcher that he wanted to be. He's had a really bizarre career. I mean, he was around for a while, but was never anything special. And then all of a sudden, he took off there very late in his career. And he has mentioned that the Nationals releasing him served as a, an especially important motivator for him. This is back when the Nats were awful. And that kind of motivated him to have this whole second career that he's had. It's been a remarkable thing.
0: And he's doing it again this season. So big two game set here for the Nationals as they continue to roll. Now just three games behind the Mets when it comes to the National League East standings. Been great to see the Nats do as they have done here over these last few weeks. Well, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can always email us to natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Paolo Espino for the all-star game. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time
3: on the Nats Chat Podcast. out allowed an inherited runner to score. And then Justin Miller, swinging a line drive to left. Coming in, power leaps up and makes the catch. He came in a step or two and then had a jump for it. Hit harder and hung up longer than he thought. Big smile as he fakes the catch on his face. And a curly W in the books here at Nationals Park. The Nationals defeat the Mets in the makeup game. The Nationals are back to the 500 mark.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.